What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and I'm very excited for today's guest. I've got Jordan Hansen. And uh, man, he is—he has lived quite the life. He has crossed the Atlantic twice. He has pedaled across Australia thirteen thousand miles on a bike, and uh, he has trekked the Mississippi. And he's been up to some really cool projects. He's a writer, and uh, he's also how I found him was he was doing these boat sessions to where he would record musicians from his boat. So Jordan, man, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Things are things are going really good. It's uh, I live in Seattle right now, even though I was born in um, Mobile, actually. Oh, man. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's like September is my favorite month up here because uh, when it's not smoky, it's just like the perfect temperature. All the tourists have gone away, uh, and it's just like the best time to be up in the Pacific Northwest. So things are great up here. Right on, man. Well, tell me a little bit about growing up, man. Uh, I understand that you named uh, your boat after your father. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, just growing up and what you were into. Yes, I was born in Mobile and all my mom's family is still down there. Um, But I only lived in Mobile for like six weeks. Uh, Then we moved back to where my parents had been living, which was uh, Sligo on the west coast of Ireland. Um, My family had a, a scale manufacturing company that had been around since 1889 and they had moved to uh, started in Chicago, uh, this family of Danish, Danish immigrants. And then my grandfather had brought it over to Ireland in the 1960s because he could get some, you know, they needed manufacturing and he could get some tax breaks and it was a good business opportunity. So uh, my father went over there um, as a young man and then continued to keep things going. Um, I was in Ireland for about 18 months We moved to England, uh, where same kind of stuff continued. Uh, Then he died of an asthma attack uh, when I was three years old. So uh, I ended up, um, I mean, strangely enough, my my grandparents on my dad's side, they ended up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, of all places, which, (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you've heard of it before, but it's like... (laughs) I haven't. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe like 40 miles north of the Mexican border, and it's a great little town. It was a really great place to grow up, and I think that, you know, there, my my grandparents had gone there, started up another scale manufacturing business, and my mom wanted me to know my grandparents since I wasn't going to know my dad, Uh, and uh, she would end up meeting a guy there, my dad, who was, you know, incidentally, both my um, my biological dad and my second dad, I never called him my stepdad. They're both named Jim. Uh, but two years later, she met my, my new dad, Jim, and they ended up getting married, uh, and eventually I'd have a brother. Um, but living in Las Cruces, uh, as a kid, I mean, I have nothing but like really fond memories of that. And part of that was, you know, we lived in, you know, some just pretty like regular suburbs, but there was a low rock wall in the back and I could hop that rock wall. And I was instantly in this, like what felt like a, a wild desert. And I mean, there were all kinds yeah. of things. I mean, there were scorpions, there were 
bones, there were centipedes, uh, arroyos, you know, me and my cousins would go out there and we'd build, um, we'd build forts and booby traps. And, you know, my brother ended up kind of, it's funny. Cause like my, my, my mother's a very wonderful, like motherly woman and very protective, but my brother ended up just being, uh, kind of blocking for me as a, as a young, as a young baby. So, you know, uh, she just would let me hop the wall and I'd go out there with, uh, <laughs> with a bow and arrow and a pocket knife and a hatchet and just wander off. And I mean, it felt like I was going a million miles away. I was probably no more than like a half mile away, but it just right. it felt pretty distant to me. And it's been interesting over the years, like looking back, I think like no matter what I've done uh, since then, and that's probably like the most adventure I'll ever have. <laughs> it was just this, just cause the, you know, the, the comparison of being a, uh, a little boy out there, uh, playing. Um, but anyway, we were there for a few years, moved to Seattle cause my dad went to law school and moved back to Albuquerque. And, you know, when I moved up to the Pacific Northwest, we were in a little town called Woodenville, um, which is not too far inland uh but you know far enough inland that you're not gonna you know in your day-to-day you're not gonna see the ocean um but uh we'd go to seattle on a consistent basis and you know our little weekend trips all around the puget sound and even though that i'd been been in the desert for the first 11 years of my life like i just saw green and all this blue uh and you know and just seattle was like a very you know coming from las cruces new mexico it was a huge city. I mean, it's, it's, and it's a, it's a big sized like international city. Like it is big, but it's not like there's still something, you know, that's kind of very towny about Seattle. Um, but compared to Las Cruces, it was, you know, there was the space needle. Yeah. <laughs> and, like to an 11 year old, that was uh, wild. So I really fell in love with that place. And when we went back to Albuquerque, cause my dad got a job, I, uh, I was totally, I was not into it. So when I went to, when I decided to go to college, um, I chose a school up here in Washington, uh, University of Puget Sound, a small little school down in Tacoma, but it was close to the water. And that's where I got involved in rowing for the first time. So I was never like, I swam in high school, but wasn't particularly athletic, but rowing was like the first sport that I really, uh, just, it's really got me. I, um, I just, you know, fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Like, I love the way it felt. I love the team. Um, I love the way it looked. I loved all the equipment. Um, you know, even it was worth getting up at 4.30, you know, in, you know, freshman year of college and throughout college. And that was what really defined my my time there. You know, getting up at 4.30 to be down in the boathouse at 5 um, and getting out there and, you know, it, it's, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're also not going to bed super early in college either. So yeah. even on that little bit of sleep, it just ends up being so worth it to be out there with a bunch of people working towards the same goal. And then you'd have enough of these just beautiful early mornings and like Mount Rainier is this, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's about 15,000 feet, which, you know, compared to, you know, the mountains in the Rockies, it's, you know, that's tall, but not like there's plenty of 14ers and, you know, all along the uh, the Rockies, but, uh, here like Mount Rainier, like starts at sea level. So, you know, those, you know, when you get to the Rockies, like you're not starting, you're starting at like five to 8,000 feet. So this mountain just dominates, uh, the landscape. 
and early morning when the sun's rising up and that mountain is like pink uh it's it's just it's overwhelmingly beautiful so i was just totally in love with this sport and it was again the one that i was pretty first one that i felt natural at yeah and so good enough after college that i could entertain the idea of training to see if i could get on the olympics and i started down that path but pretty early on i saw that i saw this poster at this boathouse wall in seattle advertising this uh rowing race from new york to england and i just couldn't get it out of my head um you know the i was thinking about kind of what the commitment was going to look like for training to get on the national team and i love rowing a whole lot but i also really love to travel and this seemed like a way to combine those things together and i was like i would i would definitely travel for uh you know if i was in race rowing but it was like the idea of training for just like a two kilometer race because that's the average race distance uh and to perfect that thing, there's, there's a certain, like, I, there's, there's a real virtue in doing that. Uh, but I just kind of like the unknown and the chaos of this idea of rowing across the ocean. Cause I had no idea like what, what the hell that was going to look like. Right. Um, and you know, there were just so many other factors that were into play. Cause it's like, well, you got to live and row on the boat and just being out at sea, that's something that, you know, even being raised in the desert, I was, I was drawn to. Uh, and it just seemed like this really like well-rounded test. And that's exactly what it ended up being. I asked my friends and they kept saying, yes, uh, these are all these guys that I'd rode with in college. And they were just, um, uh, <laughs> I, I asked my buddy, Greg, who I was training with. And you know, he was, uh, he said, no. Uh, then I asked my buddy Brad and he said, maybe, uh, and 10 days later he turned that into a yes. And so I called up Greg and I was like, got a team. I could tell you said no, but I kind of felt you were a little bit interested. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, and he was like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll be involved. And I was like, I knew his maybe was a yes. I just had a, I had a feeling. Uh, then we had our, ask our buddy Dylan, who was like, I can think like the most practical of, of all of us. And, um, I couldn't really believe that he said yes, but he did. And uh, when he was kind of telling me about his process of coming up with that decision, he's like, yeah, I told my mom. He said it was the dumbest idea she'd ever heard of. <laughs> now, was Dylan the guy in the video who who was responsible for packing the food? No, no, that was my buddy Brad. Okay. And uh, I mean, I, I remember like watching that video and that was real, like that was, that was gut wrenching. Like not only, like you said, to, to prepare for this journey, uh, day in, day out, fighting the water. But then, I mean, you got, like you said, you're living on the water too. And so you, you've got to be well prepared. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the thing is that we, you know, when we got to New York, we've been preparing for 18 months. And when we looked at all the other boats, there's no way you could have paid me to get into any bo- anyone else's boat. I was really proud of the way that we had prepared. And I think the whole team was, and the whole team had a lot of confidence. But there was uh, this great moment, you know, like throughout, you know, we're all, you know, right out of college. So we're really young and, you know, and kind of what we brought to the table was like, we really believed in this idea. We, uh, we knew that there was a lot we didn't know. Um, and when we went and asked people for help, uh, you know, the, I think they, they really saw that come together. And so, you know, we got, we ended up finding like a lot of really good mentors al- along the way. And with that was, you'd get a lot of people who would volunteer a lot of advice. And, uh, it was one of those things where, 
you know, the kind of the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the napkin math that I have when it comes to, uh, advice is like, if it's advice you're seeking out, chances are it's any, it's like, it's going to be good for, from like 35 to 65% of the time. But if it's volunteered, you know, <laughs> five to 15%. Yeah. Uh, uh, and on the day that Brad, Dylan and Greg were, were packing the food, I was back at the, in the boat yard, working on the boat, finishing up some other projects. And like, you know, we'd been, and like, there were days that we were, in the bar boat yard till like two in the morning trying to figure because and the thing was is like it's not like we were working hard but we weren't working smart because we were just figuring everything out so a lot of this was like we'd do something we'd make a mistake and then we'd have to fix it i mean everything was just super slow but miraculously that day like i got all my things that were on my punch list done by five and i went to this bar and uh to, you know to, uh, i was there in time for happy hour and you know this is like getting ready to like write just before we're getting ready to go to New York for this trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're at this neighborhood in Seattle called Ballard, which is this really salty place. And, uh, you know, I sit next to the bar and there's a salty guy who's sitting there and uh, looking, looking pretty grizzled. And he's uh, just starts asking me what I do. And it's like the last damn thing that I want to talk about at this point <laughs> is like, You're right. But it's like, but the thing is, is like, the thing that I told myself is I was like kind of entering this space of like doing a really big, cool thing. I was like, it's a privilege to be able to do this so that if someone comes out and asks you that, like you, you really owe it to that person to really give, give that story. Um, you know, and at the same time, it's like, well, we didn't really feel we hadn't done it yet. We, we were going to do it. But anyway, so I was like, just took a deep breath and I just kind of went into the whole spiel <laughs> thinking like, who knows, like. Maybe this grizzled guy in Seattle's a tech bro millionaire. Who knows? Like yeah. he might be inspired by the story. Um, well, he uh, he kind of looks at his drink and then he looks at all the bottles of booze behind um, behind the bar, and then he, <laughs> and he like, looks back into his drink again and goes, "It's all about how you recover from your first big fuck up." <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those things. <laughs> this unsolicited advice and i was like that is a golden nugget of truth yeah so i remember like take a sip of my gin and tonic thinking write that down <laughs> that's gonna come back yeah and <laughs> well there we were on day 16 and brad's like hey we didn't bring enough food and i was like well <laughs> the crazy old man in ballard was right <laughs> it's all like this is the moment and how we recover from this moment will dictate our success or failure. And it was absolutely right. And that was something that was like, um, you know, just a, like a kind of a, a nugget of truth that I held on to. And, you know, we're doing these things. And like, these are my buddies. And like, you know, Brad had, you know, he had owned up to owned up to this. And it was like, you know, asking these questions as we invested 18 months of our lives into this thing, when in our early 20s, it's the biggest thing we've ever done. And now that there's this one thing that, is putting that in danger and it's, it would be easy to blame it on one person, but it's like, I mean, ultimately it was, I mean, it's a hard thing not to do, but at the same time you're wrestling with like, well, it's not really the right thing to do either. Cause like we're a team and, sure. and, and the one thing that we were really good at is that we, we covered e each other's asses and you know, we always presented this United front. And so while we were out there, um, you know, we didn't, no one found out that we'd been, uh, 
rationing food and lost 150 pounds between the four of us before we landed. The only people who knew uh, were the film company that we had been filming with and our navigator. But our parents didn't find out about this until we arrived and we looked just emaciated. Yeah, man, I could only imagine it. I mean, I've heard it said, I mean, probably the parallel between a rowing crew, the closest thing that I could draw an analogy to would be a band when it comes to something like that. I mean, you got these four guys putting everything on the line and you have that one mistake that surely, yeah, one guy is responsible for, but we're a team, so we just got to eat it, you know? And you got to rise above it. <laughs> I mean, and it's one of those things, like, it's that's been, like, I'm, I look back and I, I'm, like, I'm so proud of those guys uh, and just, like, us as a team being able to do that and rise above. And it took, like, I mean, there were, and there was some hard things to work through after, um, but it was something that, like, we've, you know, everybody on that, you know, on this trip, like, has a, has a relationship. Uh, which is shared this really special thing together. Yeah. And that, uh, if people want to know about that journey, the book is called rowing into the sun, right? Yep. Yeah. And you can get that on my websites or Amazon, uh, jordanhanson.com. It's on, uh, you can get a paper copy, uh, or you can just download it on audible. I just turned it into a, uh, audio book myself. Um, or like I did the voice for it, uh, this cool. last, last year. Right on, dude. And I, I couldn't imagine, like, the thing I think about at sea would be those those nights where uh, you got bad weather and you, you can't really, you you know, the only thing I guess you could see would be the uh, the thunder and lightning, lighting up the, the sky and the waves are rolling. And man, that's got to be, I, I couldn't even imagine that. It, it would be like a, it, it's a nightmare, I guess. Well, I mean, it's, it's but it's got kind of a beautiful nightmare because it's scary, but it's <laughs> super humbling i mean you know when you've stood at, like down in the south you got all those big thunderstorms that come in yeah. and out there and you just you're so close to so much power it's just a really like it's a humbling thing to see uh the um you know i had this uh moment on the second trip um where we had this lightning storm come overhead and it wasn't quite it was turning dark it was like just like the that half hour and the uh we saw the antenna start to glow mm -hmm. and i had a big beard at the time and i started to feel it move oh yeah like the uh you could feel the static or whatever in the air and it was just i mean it was scary as hell <laughs> oh we were uh we were working in guatemala in a uh, village of just outside of chamaltenango and we were so high elevation uh, Fuego, the active volcano there, uh, we were a little bit above it. So early morning when we were working, you could see down inside the volcano and you could see the, the magma. But I remember as we were working, we weren't really paying attention and it was like a fog to us. And uh, next thing you know, we were working, uh, building these these 10 houses and we were in the middle of a thunderstorm. But the we were in the cloud. And at that time, I had a big beard and you know, it was raining, but we were in the clouds, so you you didn't really think anything about it because it wasn't falling or hitting you. And then the next thing you know, like you said, I could kind of feel my beard kind of moving. And uh, I looked over at my buddy and I was like, uh, we need to move. And then next thing you know, right when we took cover, lightning just streaked across. And I was like, we were eye level with it, dude. 
it, it was one of the most insane things I'd, I'd ever experienced. <laughs> I mean, I'm so glad you said that because like, it's one of those things where like, I've told that story before and I was like, am I imagining this? Like I could, I, I could <laughs> felt it move. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's great to get another man with a beard can confirm that. <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> well, dude, uh, like, uh, you mentioned the second trip. Would that would would that be from uh, West Africa to uh, Miami? Yeah, yeah. So that one we um, so the the first trip was a race. We went from New York to England. We were racing against three other boats from England. Uh, one boat quit in the first two or three days. Uh, we made it across. We won. We got a Guinness World Record. Um, and afterwards, uh, you know, I had this moment when we were coming into to Falmouth, which was the port. Uh, we were going to and you know there was this moment where you're like you're at sea you're at sea you're at sea and then suddenly like the you're still in the water but the ocean's behind you and i remember looking back and it's like you know i'm starving we have like one bag of polenta and a bag of tuna and i'm like you know if we just had more food in this boat i'd want to keep rowing there was just like this still like this desire for whatever reason and maybe it was just like a habit at that point or like something else but i wasn't quite done with it and over the years uh i ended up getting another crew of guys that, that my buddy greg ended up doing it again he ended up being a manager for that trip uh this guy named uh adam and marcus and pat uh uh adam and marcus were adam was a canadian gold medalist from beijing in the men's eight marcus is a filmmaker and adventure he just finished a um he just finished a non- motorized trip around the world that took him eight years shout out to that man uh yeah uh yeah uh, 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 routes of change sorry uh, roots of change yeah an incredible incredible story anyway he was part of that crew um and you know the idea of a race wasn't as exciting to us at this point uh but like because it's such a unique place and when there's the pressure of the race it's like you know if you're in a rowboat you want to row swiftly across the ocean. And I, I love a race. I love the idea of it. I love doing it, but there was so much out there where when we weren't rowing, it was feeling like we were falling behind. Uh, and there was just so much to see. And I think there's like, there's two types of people or like I, when I think of this, I describe two types of people. There's people that go out to the ocean and they see nothing or there's people that go out to the ocean and they see everything. And so yeah. both times, lucky to be out there with people who just you i felt like they also saw everything and the cool i think the coolest thing about rowing across the ocean is this level of intimacy you have with the ocean and you look down and it's just a few feet away and you're not going fast so you can really see the detail uh really up close i mean it's i i've sailed across the ocean since then and even on a sailboat uh you're going just fast enough that you can't quite that it's not quite as intimate as just putting your oar into the water. Um, so we kind of took that idea and it was like, well, how do we translate this to, you know, cause we're looking to like, we're looking to fundraise. So like, what's the stick, what, what's the, what's our shtick this time? Like, how are we going to, you know, what are we doing this for? What's our reason? It's like, well, we're going to try and, you know, we're really curious about this and we're going to share that curiosity and use this as an, as an educational device. And so we got involved with the Canadian Wildlife Federation, um, about half a dozen, um, more than that, uh, several 
uh, different organizations and scientists. And so we decided we're like, there's interesting things that we can learn out here. So like, how can we quantify all that? Mm-hmm. So we did a, did a psychological study. We were collecting temperature, density, dissolved oxygen, dissolved CO2, um, you know, basically taking the temperature of the ocean with all of these tests um, the, the whole way across. Um, and so, but then we put a really uh, big satellite dome for the size of the boat to be able to communicate that back to students. And so we had, for the first trip, we had created a nonprofit, we called it Born Northwest. And Born Northwest started to evolve into this uh, adventure education company. And so we did uh, that, uh, we did a trip around Vancouver Island to prepare for the second ocean row. And yeah. then we did that row. We ended up capsizing. Um, and that's its own uh, story. And I can get in, get into that if you're curious, but just to, for, just to explain that kind of the timeline, uh, what we learned from that trip was, I mean, it's really great to, I mean, I loved rowing across the ocean. I thought it was really, really cool, but it is very hard to translate that, or at least with the technology that we had, to really translate that effectively into the classroom. And we were, me and Greg were thinking about like, well, what's, you know, we, we love this idea of sharing this adventure. So like, what's a really good adventure where we feel like we can like reach students face to face, like get in the classroom, but still be on an adventure. And the Mississippi river just like, just made sense. I mean, especially, you know, come from, you know, doing it for an American audience because Mm -hmm. modern day Lewis and Clark. Well, yeah, Lewis and Clark, and you know, there's uh, you know Mark Twain, and there's just the, the the Mississippi River has layers and layers and layers of significance to any American, and that's and that's true if you know you you know trace it back to you know First People or you know Mayflower, or if you just got turned into you know if you just took your your citizenship yesterday, like the Mississippi River has these levels of significance that are. That, that, that transcend uh, so many levels of the country. Uh, and the coolest part about it is you go have this crazy adventure and you could like show up and like meet students on the side of the river yeah. uh, or, or the teacher would pick you up and like, we, you know, we pull our boats up on the side of the river and he'd pack us up in a truck or a van or a car and drive us into a classroom. And, you know, so, sometimes it was like, we, you know, we, we wake up on the, side of the river row a few miles and go talk to a classroom and then they'd you know take us to a grocery store real quick maybe buy us a catfish meal <laughs> and then we <laughs> pop back on the river and row a few more miles uh and so but as we did that it was like okay like we've done these trips so how do we start to translate that to other people um and that's when we were like okay it's been like uh definitely been like a, it's, it, it had been a boys club for a long time just because it started from a like man's crew team. Yeah. But uh, we'd gotten some, uh, some interest and some interns along the way to help us that were from, um, from our same university, but they were women who had rode there. Um, uh, Rachel and Leah, and they ended up doing a trip down the Columbia river. Uh, and that was something what was like, ended up being a little bit of a transition trip for us. Cause we were trying to figure out how to make this Mississippi river trip consistent um, like something that could happen on a year or bi yearly basis uh, and be funded and each year be bringing new like students who had um, who had taken classes in, in this case at you know the school I went to University of Puget Sound uh, to go 
do these trips effectively. And so they would learn about the Mississippi. They'd learn, like, they'd learn about the science projects that we were doing on the trip. And then they would go out and they would be the ones talking to the students along the way. So that's what Rachel and Leah did on the Columbia River. And then we turned it into a class at the University of Puget Sound. And there were these eight students that went through, went down the river. Um, and, and that one, uh, we Google Street viewed the Mississippi River. Oh, um, that's cool. And uh, continued to do these, uh, you know, this, uh, these science projects. And unfortunately, that was the very, that was the last Orr Northwest trip. So we had, you know, five of these big trips in 10 years. Um, but the funding, uh, just, I couldn't have, you know, we couldn't figure it out. Um, and it just needed to, like, because of that, it was just, you know, I ended up getting burnt out. You know, we had, and at that point, it was, it was, it was rough because we just built it up to this, you know, we had a board of directors and we had all this stuff. And then it just like kind of fell apart and it was, it was pretty heartbreaking for me. Um, but at the same time, it was, it was okay that that, that, that epoch in my life like came to an end. And, um, you know, and at that time, like I'd started to have some ideas for writing. Like I never really thought of myself as a fiction writer before. Like I'd made that book uh, about the first ocean row, but um, I'd had this idea to uh, for some fiction that like popped it up uh, some historical stuff. History is what I studied in college. Um, so like this adventure romance story had kind of these stories were popping up. And I've over the years, I've written about you know, 1200 pages of those. Uh, so I'm still pretty far away, um, but going to get it done. It's got a lot of other things. But while that was happening, um, I uh, um, I ended up taking like my rowboat and turning it into a little tour uh, here in Seattle. So uh, it's called Rowing Urban Waterways. And, these, uh, and I just take folks on a three-hour tour starting in Lake Union, which is in the middle of Seattle, and row into Union Bay and we cover about seven miles, but it's like a history tour meets bird watching and yeah. it's super relaxed. It's super chill. And I kind of, the, the reason I bring that up is that that kind of leads into tiny boat session. So I had okay. this time in like rowing. Uh, and then I'd spent all this time, you know, it's like several hundred rows, like entertaining people in the back of the boat, people who had no, uh, you know, no background with rowing. No, you know, sometimes no background with boats. And I was entertaining them, making them, you know, have a good time. And uh, when the pandemic happened, um, you know, I was, you know, it was mid-March and uh, my, uh, my roommate and I decided to go for a row just to like blow off some steam. Cause you know, it's like early March, 2020 were some dark times. Yeah. And to get out uh, for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we just went out to like the local you know, saltwater boat ramp, which is a, in that neighborhood of Ballard that I was talking about. So we put in and it's, you know, like there's some, there's some days in, in March in Seattle that are like when it's not raining, that are just super beautiful. And it was like one of those days, uh, like, you know, like a nice wool sweater is going to keep you perfectly warm. And it was like dry and just like a spectacular sunset. And I'm rowing along huh. feeling about all this uh feeling good about the decision to go rowing that day and i start hearing music like come across the water yeah <laughs> i turn around and there's a grizzly man <laughs> in ballard in his tiny boat with a saxophone who's just playing like he doesn't give a damn and to see that at that moment in that space and time i was just like 
I, I need more of this. Like, I absolutely, like, I don't, I don't know how I just like, I'm drawn. Like I got to figure out how to put people in the back of my boat and play music. Um, and it just, it seemed to fit because it was, you know, between where I was in the boat and the people in the back of the boat, there was, you know, easily eight feet. Uh, and it was outside. Uh, so it was, you know, a safe way to interact with people that was also really intimate. And so I started asking my friends and, uh, you know, in, um, like I had this idea and then like by, and I had this idea on like, maybe like a Thursday. And then that next Friday I lined up all of these people and I did. And the thing was, is that it, all the lining up, I'd reached out to a lot of people over that week and nothing really started to happen until that Friday morning. And then <laughs> over the, and, uh, over the weekend, about I got right. Yeah, over the weekend, I got 11 people in the boat who sang four songs each. So I was like, I was in the water pretty much the whole weekend. Uh, and then that Monday, I did the I did the last one. And then that was when the governor signed the stay-at-home order. And so I had these 11 artists um, and that I'd known, you know, through the boating community for the most part, a few exceptions here and there. Um, and I had these four songs from uh four songs each so that was 44 songs and that was the first season of tiny boat session yeah. and so started feeding out a song a day and i'd go for the you know first artist through you know the last and then i'd start their second song and it just was it just felt like a a beautifully defiant way to deal with that moment you know it was keeping me keeps keeping me busy um and it was i mean like I felt with all of these, like, right. So I, when you first, uh, uh, heard about me when I was posting stuff, so that was in spring 2022. Right. And, uh, I was in the middle of like getting like, uh, I ended up getting enough. I ended up shooting 91 artists. Wow. In, in like less than two months. So I came back and then, um, my band got stolen and there was like, and I did some travel. So there were all these things that like, in terms of me processing all of these, all this stuff, it's just taken forever. Uh, what I'm getting to is that I've just started delving into it, um, uh, right now. And it's like, I watch these things and I'm just, there's something so beautiful about these, seeing these artists in the back of the boat. And it's just something about like, the shape of the boat focuses focuses the the viewer on the artist, yeah. and the, shape of the boat bounces the sound back into the microphones really beautifully. And then you have this wonderful bat, like you know, aquatic background, and there's such variation in it. Uh, and everything is just stripped down to like that moment and the artist and their song. And there's just like a lot of like, uh, like everybody's extra pretty extra. Everybody's extra handsome. Like this moment, these moments just uh, when I'm uh, going through and looking at them, it's because, it, you know, if you're working on a project and you spend a lot of time away from it and then you're like, was I just fooling myself? <laughs> you know, like, was this uh, was this a bit of a pipe dream? Was I just kind of caught up in the enthusiasm of the moment? But I go back to these and this has been consistent since like, pretty much the first one. Like I've definitely improved with how I've been able to get the sound and stuff like that. But each of these moments is, is beautiful. And the thing that I've concluded with a tiny boat session is that it's not about the video. It's about the moment. So like yeah. the moment is a tiny boat session, like, and that happens. And, and the video uh, or the, the, the film is, that's just a, um, 
that's the souvenir at the at the end of that but like so it and especially on like this because i've done i put out four seasons i'm working on number five uh but i have like eight total um but it was kind of in number five and kind of four to five that i started to kind of get my stride with better microphones and also just had like a better understanding of you know how i wanted to capture this and just realizing that like this really was just that this wasn't about capturing the film at all it was just about creating this like really beautiful moment yeah uh and i don't know man like there's just out in the world and you know on the in the world of social media there's a lot of there's a lot of negativity and like snarkiness and and unpleasantness and i just wanted to create something that was you know at least for me like an antidote to that I totally agree, man. Like with, with these interviews or with some of the recordings that I've done with musicians. And I mean, that is my exact approach is with everything that I see on social media that makes everybody just bicker and fight one another. What if I brought some beauty into the world? Yeah. You know, what if I've, what if I offered up an alternative? Cause it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. And I've, I mean, you know, you had my buddy, Red Greg Padilla, and then I started digging into what you had done. And then I was like, oh, there is so much more. And I mean, just your track record, just through like what I've seen through your Instagram was like, yeah, this guy gets it. You know, it's, you don't have to, you don't have to be on your uh, soapbox and, you know, spewing out these opinions that, you know, are going to get people to uh, argue and have strife with one another when you could just, you could bring this incredibly creative artistic endeavor and just offer it up and you don't really have to say anything it speaks for itself yeah i mean and that's the thing is like i mean there's 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 absolutely i mean i think it's important that there's there's a time and a place for tough decisions and well tough tough conversations and things like that you know those are all things that are like they're really important but i feel like for the most part we aren't really doing it well you know yeah totally agree these are really important conversations and they're necessary conversations. A lot of them are a long time coming and a lot of them we're going to have to keep having. Yeah. Like that's one of the, I think one of the the things that like everything important is kind of will, will continues to evolve. And so each generation is going to have to, you know, deal with those similar questions in some kind of way. Um, but the one thing that's going to make that, you know, I guess facilitate a, something more productive is like just being, you know, listening to one another and being like, really, I mean, and which is like, listening is really hard sometimes. And, you know, it's like, and, and changing your views. And this episode of porch talk is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Caldera lab. If you go to calderalab.com slash porch, uh, at checkout, you can use promo code porch and save 20% off your total purchase order. A little bit about Caldera lab. It was clinically tested to work on dry, normal, and oily skin, 9 out of 10 men who tried this product continue to do so, and they could tell a difference uh, with their skin. Uh, there's an improvement in the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles, elasticity, dark spots, skin tone, and more. It really helped me out with the crow's feet and the wrinkles on my forehead. I have been using the good for about a week now and they also uh, sent me the clean slate icon and the base layer and um, i've never really been into skincare products 
I was excited to give Caldera Lab a shot, and I'm glad I did. And so as you get a little bit older like myself, um, maybe you would like to give these skincare products a try for your face. And maybe you'll tell a difference just like I am. Uh, I'm 32, but I'm currently looking about 23. So uh, look out for me. Once again, if you go to calderalab.com slash porch, use promo code porch, and you'll save 20% off of your purchase order. Back to the show. All right, man, just to uh, to backtrack away from the boat sessions for a second, tell me a little bit about the wild hair you had in Australia. Yeah, so um, that was in 2000. I was in two, early 2008. Uh, and so like I came back from that ocean road trip in 2006. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a funny thing about like big accomplishments because um, you can get depressed afterwards. And, and like, like depression, I think is something like, I think that's a thing, even if you've had like a really good weekend, you know, like if you had a great weekend, you feel like you're really disconnected. Uh, and then you come back like that next day and you're like, man, why am I so down? Um, like it's, it's a real bummer. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, and, it, it's, it is, it's like a depression hangover. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And it's like, you're like, well, this thing happened and it was like, you know, and I think this is just, just the way humans process, like process the good process, the bad, um, you know, you have these big things that go on and like, then we kind of got to like take some time to kind of file them away in our, in our mind and in our heart and our soul, uh, or, and in our body in some cases. Uh, and so like, I was pretty, like, I just was in a funk for that whole, you know, I came back in August and, you know, I went from like 210. No, I was, two, I was like, I was like 215. I went from 215 to like 179 and then ballooned up to like 240. <laughs> quite the roller coaster <laughs> yeah and so because it was like i came back and i was just you know eating compulsively after that like it wasn't it was like kind of funny for the first few days and then it was like i can't stop eating like it's like it's like we given ourselves like a like in a very brief amount of time and kind of a um like an eating disorder it wasn't like a lasting thing but it was definitely like the way that our body responded and it was you know, you had weird, um, uh, because we were so malnourished while we were out there, like everybody had, uh, weird overuse injuries, uh, just from, uh, trying to, you know, working really hard. And so like your, your body is maintaining what it needs to row. Uh, but all of these other things, it's just like, well, don't need that. And you don't have enough food. So that's going to be on the chopping block. And yeah, um, dude, I could I could only imagine, man, it's like, you know, you, you're putting in these calories to, to work and to row and to be able to think and to hold yourself together. And I think it's impressive that uh, y'all maintained the friendships. I mean, I could only imagine, you know, just being at each other's throats, you know, toward the end of that journey. But once again, you, you did have that that homogenous or collective thing that we are in this together. But I mean, there had to be some, you know, there there had to be hard times out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was this, uh, I mean, one of the, you know, most powerful moments for me was, um, just like Greg was a little bit older than everybody. And, you know, if, if, uh, you know, going into this project, if he had, if he'd been like, Oh, you know, like I'm older and like, uh, if he was like showed interest in being team captain, like I absolutely would have, you know, said that he should, but, 
just because he was older and he'd had more experience with, you know, in the real world doing projects and things like that. And, you know, Dylan and Brad had just graduated. I'd been out for a year. Um, and then just Greg's a really competent human being. Like he's just, he's like good at everything he puts his hand to. Um, and it's just like a really good worker. And we're also like really good workers together, uh, which is like, that was kind of my first experience working with someone really intensely after college. And it was one of those things where I realized like, that's actually not normal. <laughs> like to be able to work on that level with someone where, you know, you have the same like likes, dislikes, interests, but you approach problems from different, like, but complementary ways. And so you can just chew up a bunch of work really fast. And like, uh -huh. there, a, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, you could be, you know, shoveling staples, but if you're doing with, with someone that makes it feel really fast, I mean, it's like, there, there's a real pleasure to that. And that kind of uh, syncopation, I mean, same kind of going into like another, I'm sure musicians feel the same way. You know, there's got to be some musicians that have a real hard time playing with others and others where it's like, oh, we, we, we could be, we could have been playing, you know, our entire lives. It, 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 it is exactly that way. And uh, the ones who are hard to work with, I mean, they're typically bedroom musicians. They're very competent and they're very, they're, they're ridiculously good to a point to where it, if they play guitar and you play guitar, they make you want to quit just how good they are. It's like, this is, this is unbelievable how good you are. But at the same time, that's also their problem is like, they, they can't, they don't work well with others. They have, mm. they have, it's an ego brain. They have to be, they have to be the spotlight. And it was like, this is a band, but it, it's, it's all of us. It's not just one of us. And totally. so it's, you know, it's, it's gotta be something close to that, you know? Yeah. So we had to go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. So we just had this moment out there and it was towards the end and it was like, you know, uh, so we're, you know, this is getting like, things are getting towards the end, but like finishing is not a guarantee. And, uh, I think Greg had had, um, like we'd had all this cheese that went moldy and we had been scraping the cheese Well, Greg, like it scraped the cheese versus cutting it, cutting the mold off. Cause like we're trying to preserve calories. And so it went down and then like seconds later it went up and here's this, you know, Greg's been, um, he'd been, uh, you know, he'd also gotten sick. He'd gotten really constipated. So that was like the only time that we didn't row the entire time, uh, that, that like someone got knocked out was, you know, not because of storms or, you know, someone like, you know, got beat up or bruised or anything like that. Just, it was constipation. Mm. And so, he'd lost a lot of weight. He'd been, you know, and it was just kind of like, and it's, you know, constipation is one of those things. Like if you're in your, you know, a dude in your early twenties, you've never had, you know, much of an experience with that. If you're like reasonably healthy, but then, and so it was like, it was kind of funny at first. And then like, it was like, Holy shit. Like this is, this could be a trip killer. Uh, I mean, he worked it out. Um, but it was like, it took a toll. Uh, and, then on top of that, he, you know, is trying to preserve calories, eats, you know, some moldy cheese, he throws up and then like, you know, a day or I, I don't remember when it was later, but like Brad had been like checking it up on everybody. Cause I mean, he felt super guilty cause it was, uh, he had taken, he'd taken on the responsibility of the food and it had not worked out the way that, you know, he did not get the support from us, uh, that he should have in hindsight. Um, but I mean, that's like, that's, you know, me looking at this problem from hindsight uh, but at the same time so he was like and he 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 owned it as i mean better than i think a lot of people could uh 
and part of how that manifests was he just he kind of asked people like like how you doing how you doing like just kind of checking in um yeah like checking you know see, seeing what the oil was like i mean i could uh, see just by the video i mean he was very distraught by it yeah totally um and uh I remember coming in the cabin once and Greg turns to me and they're like, we're just, we're so fucking close at this point. And he's like, if Brad asked me again, I'm going to tell him how I feel and I'm not going to hold back. And I was like, Oh gosh, we're so close. This is like the last thing we're like, like once things are said, like they'll never be able to be unsaid and we're still going to be on this goddamn boat and we're still not going to be on shore. And like, and here, like Greg's like an older brother to me. Uh, and I just, I really, really respect him. And I said, Greg, you just, you can't do that. And he turns to me and he said, like, are you asking me as a friend or are you ordering me as the captain? And I was like, both. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I'm asking you as a friend first, but I am ordering you as a captain. And I mean, the fact that he, cause like, Greg, you know, we were, you know, in terms of like, I was captain in the fact that I had a tie-breaking vote, but because all these guys were, you know, like I'm sure I had my, you know, my my skills, but everyone else here like had a huge amount of skill, uh, a, a huge amount of experience. There was no one that's, you know, I I needed everybody to be a leader on that because I I couldn't do it on my own. It's just that you know we needed a tie-breaking vote and we needed kind of someone to kind of provoke discussions. Um, and that was like the first time where it was like, I kind of, when I think back on that, that I made a real captainy decision in the sense of like, I was like, Greg, just don't do this. And he didn't, and he, he held it in. And I know that was really frustrating and I know it probably hurt. Um, but at the same time, it just like, just didn't seem to be something that we needed to like that the boat needed at that point. And, and, and I mean, in hindsight, it did, you know, we, we had these video cameras that we were, um uh doing these video diaries and so that was like a great thing that ended up being like a mental health thing because you could go there and you could basically just like you know yell into this diary <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. the, the, there's an interesting thing about the acoustics of the boat so when you were in the back cabin you could hear like if the window was open uh the if the hatch was open you could hear pretty much everything on deck like it would all just like focus back there. So you could hear what everybody said, but the, it wouldn't work the other way around. Okay. So every once in a while, like someone would be in there doing a video diary and you could hear like this muffled yelling. Like then in our interactions, they're like, and I wasn't above any, any of this too. Cause like, you know, probably one of the reasons that I didn't want, like want, Greg to blow up on Brad is because I'd blown up on on Brad like a few days or weeks earlier. You know, we had uh when it all first happened when they, when he was like, yeah, I'm gonna you know we're gonna talk about the uh, the food, and I was like, you know, Greg and Dylan they're gonna just bite his head off. I was super concerned about that because like Greg and Brad like they're bizarrely enough they're like good buddies now. Like um uh they they do long distance running together. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, but I mean, I would have, I never would have guessed that they would have built that relationship, uh, afterwards. And so, and that, and that took years. Um, and a big part of that was that like when Brad got married, he was like, you know, this three guys that I rode across the ocean with are, are going to be there and everybody showed up and it was really cool. Um, but you know, <laughs> you know, reflects poorly on me. Uh, 
but I had initially like was like, okay, like I really got to put myself in Brad's corner because Dylan and Brad, uh, Dylan and Greg are gonna want to bite Brad's head off. So I kind of did that, and I like I got a real long fuse, and very slowly I would like uh, like over a period of, of weeks as things like smoothed down. You know, Brad was, you know, I was getting hungrier and hungrier, and uh, Brad was, you know, we were, he was, he was, one morning, he was just feeling very chatty, and he wasn't usually chatty in the morning, and we were both, I knew we were both really hungry, and he's kind of going off, and he's chit-chatting, and I uh, was like, Brad, I just, I just, I just can't talk to you in the morning, man, I just can't do it, and so we're rowing along, it's a it's a good day, um, and uh, I kind of feel the cadence of the boat pick up, and I'm just thinking, like, is that me? Is that him? And then I was like, you know, Brad, while we're talking, <laughs> which, you know, I just said, like, while we're, I don't want to talk, while we're at it, everybody on this trip's fucked up, <laughs> but you fucked up the worst. <laughs> <laughs> There's just this silence and like, you know, we'd rode together for years at this point. And so like, we're, I'm feeling this anger, like build and I'm feeling the anger and, and, and he's responding to it, but our, our rowing is just great. <laughs> like the oars are going into the water, like snapping together, like we're matching perfectly. And I can feel like the boat pickup speed. And this kind of boat, it like, it doesn't, it has a speed that it wants to go. If you go over that, you're just kind of wasting energy. Okay. So distant speed that it wants to go, which is kind of, you know, just short, consistent strokes. And these were longer, they were harder. <laughs> they were like, it's totally unsustainable. We were like burning energy that we knew we didn't have on the boat. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, Jordan, that's not fair. And I said, <laughs> I know, and I don't care. <laughs> and I mean, like, yeah, of course, like you got nothing but time to think about what you said after that. And I was like, that was pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So, and I just kind of realized. Uh, Cats out like, of the bag now, though. <laughs> well, yeah. And I just realized, like, I mean, how, how, like unproductive like for me at least i mean anger is not an emotion that i have ever been able to wield with any kind of um like if you know if just existing in the world and interacting with humans you're trying to like we're trying to like you know give what we want impose our will in these ways and like something anger is a way that people use it and a lot and, of people are good at it and some people well, some people some people don't know how to harness it you know yeah I, I don't know how to harness it and you know i mean like that did not get me that didn't make me feel any better it didn't get me more of what i wanted and it just made me as i reflected on that i was like <laughs> here's a goddamn burden that i could set down like like i'm choosing to be this way uh and uh a few weeks later i don't know might have been days it's like all the days kind of rolled together but i remember like just taking him uh, uh we were in the getting ready to get out on a shift kind of a, a little bit of a rainy day. And I just was like, look, man, here's, I just got to let you know, like, no matter how this ends, like, I forgive you. Like, and I need, and I need you to, I need you to know that before it's guaranteed that we get in. And, uh, you know, and I, after that, I, I just, I kind of broke down. I started crying and it's like, 
but afterwards, like I felt so much better. I was like, that didn't change my hunger. It didn't change anything. And it's like, and I would go on to continue to be annoyed at the things that Brad would do, you know, cause we live on a boat together. He was annoyed with stuff that I was doing. Right. But there was this, there was a lack of a burden there that was, I mean, that was really productive. You know, just like, I, I realized that that was something that I was holding on to. And it's just like, you know, being angry at someone, uh, there's that, that whatever that phrase is, it's like, you know, uh, taking poison and hoping the other person, <laughs> hoping the other person's going to get sick. And, um, that's not the way that works. Well, yeah. at least for me. Tell me, uh, like while we're there, like the, the capsize, weren't y'all three quarters of the way, like, uh, so the capsize was on the second trip and we were, yeah. you know, th- things were going great. Like we had, you know, we turned it in, you know, the, the boat was this, we had so many things we were doing on this boat. You know, we were, we were collecting science samples. You know, we had extra, we had extra solar panels so that we could communicate and run all the science equipment and do all of these, like take these like mental health surveys and, you know, on and on and on, on top of like rowing across the ocean and doing, um, and um uh and communicating back to back to shore and like things were going great it was like it was a slow trip we were kind of where we were going where we were starting where we were going we were fighting a lot more uh current and we didn't have as favorable winds so we weren't as far as long as we wanted to be but we still had like a solid like a 20 20 days like solidly of food uh so things were good there um and everybody was healthy. Everybody was happy. Like everything was going great. Uh, and I woke up this morning, uh, this one morning on the 73rd day and it was, uh, and I could feel us like we were like, we were surfing down waves, but like in, in a good way, like this was, you know, I got out, out on deck. I mean, I could feel, I could feel the boat and it was moving the way that the boat likes to move. Um, and I was like, okay, finally, finally, we got some good ways. We got some good wind. Like we're going to make some big time today. And it's like, it's about time. So get out on the deck and these guys have been rowing for four hours. And so like, they're tired, but they're feeling excited too. We're kind of checking with the waves. It's like, you know, we, we've rowed in worse than this before and that they're going in the right direction. So things are feeling really good. So let's just, uh, let's just stay with it. And it, things are so normal that when these guys get back in the cat, they're getting back in the cabin. My buddy Marcus is getting back out. He like, it's so normal that he gets his bucket out to go to the bathroom. It's like, that was his, what it was. There was nothing so out of line with the weather that it would have changed his decision to do what he did at that time every single day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that starts to happen. And, you know, Pat's kind of doing a little bit of stretching here and there before he gets in the cabin. And as he gets in the cabin, there are these two waves that aren't particularly big. Uh, they are, um, yeah, they're, 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 they're definitely not big They're but they're square and they're flat and, uh, as opposed to like triangles and it over the first wave comes and this overwhelms the back of the boat. And so, you know, it, it kind of rolls and like, uh, it's the, the crest, of the waves higher than the gunnels. And so it's just like two fire hoses have just opened up right into the boat. And so that presses the boat down into the water and covers up the scuppers where that water, uh, you know, eventually like just comes out. Um, and it, if it was just one wave, it would have been fine. Would have been kind of, oh. would have been a little dra- dramatic, but nothing crazy. Um, then the, uh, then the other thing that, uh, then the second wave hits 
and it's like back to back and that grabs the boat and surfs it into the back of that first wave oh man caps and we we corkscrew into the sea and we capsize and pat has been closing this door you know this is um and he's not able to get it shut and in order for that boat to be self-riding both cabins have to be secured and you know like this was just in the middle of shift change so it's not secure uh he gets filled up and so now it's holding the boat upside down and um you know it's like 10 to 15 seconds is was when all this happens uh you know i see marcus pop up and then i see adam then i see pat and it's like in like less than 30 seconds we've capsized and i've you know I, i'm hearing everybody's voice so i know everybody's okay and so we have these um you know we uh we have these beacons um on our life vests and so we turn all of them on uh and that sends up like uh it sends up a signal in order to um yeah, it sends up the signal uh, in order to uh, be found by the Coast Guard, uh, and then we put out the put out the life raft, uh, and then check in with with each other. And like everybody's doing good, like you know, spirits are high. Like this is not a great situation, but we're feeling like you know we're gonna go give it hell. And so we um, get on top of the boat and we wrap some um, ropes over it, and we just try and like haul the boat over, and we do that for like three hours. And the point where, you know, we're all exhausted, you know, we retreat to the life raft. Um, and, uh, then, um, we waited out, uh, and first thing you do when you get in your life raft is you kind of, you, you figure out like, what's all the equipment that you have that's available. And so, you know, we had a really nice life raft, uh, had a bunch of stuff in it. We still had, you know, we were attached to the boat, so we could go in the boat and like, we had access to water and food and, you know, we were feeling like, you know, we were, you know, we were in a good position considering it was a bad position. Um, so we're just kind of chilling out for a little bit in this uncomfortable, you know, floaty, <laughs> floaty pool <laughs> of a life raft. How long would it take for the coast guard to get there? Uh, well, so yeah, so we were, we'd been capsized for about three hours. We tried to flip things over and we were, uh, we were, we were in the life raft and one of the, one of the things that was in the life raft was, um, it was, it was about this big, it was a book about the size of a stamp and it was called the little Bible. <laughs> and so Adam had grown up going to church, but I mean, nobody was really church going at this point, but Marcus pulls this out and we just think like, Oh, it's an adorable little Bible. <laughs> <laughs> like that says it is, it, I'm not calling it a little Bible. It has the letters, the little Bible on it. <laughs> Yeah, and so we're just kind of looking at each other. We're in this weird, crazy situation, and like, couldn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so Mark starts reading Genesis, and as he gets to the end of it, the Coast Guard starts flying overhead, like at uh, at, at three hundred feet above us, maybe less. And these two Canadians start going USA, USA. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> They drop all of their, uh, they drop all their stuff. Um, all their, they drop, they drop a bunch of extra equipment that we end up, uh, you know, so the, they drop this barrel and it's got this, um, it's got a list of four things on it. It's got a blanket, it's got water, it's got some food and it has glow sticks. And so we pull this, Marcus goes and swims with this barrel uh, and 
swims it over and it's like, do we need anything here? It's like this bit, it's like a keg sized barrel. We don't have room for it in the life raft. And it's like, it's currently watertight and maybe we might need those things, but like, we don't need them right now. So we just assume that what's in it is what's on the list. So tied up to the bow of the boat, this like this orange, uh, orange barrel painted. Yeah. Painted safety orange. Marcus comes back and then they drop another one uh, like uh, a few hours later because they had the, the plane switched out. And this one has in uh, in Greece um, crayon all over it. Open me. <laughs> but it also has a much more like whereas the other one had a list of four things. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This one had a list of like 20 things, including a VHF radio. So it turns out that first one had a VHF radio. And I mean, why this was a big deal is because, you know, they weren't able to tell how many people were in the life raft. Uh. So Greg was back on shore and he is the conduit between, you know, the Coast Guard performing the rescue and then all of the families, including, you know, uh, Adam's pregnant wife. <laughs> like, Oh, no. I mean, it's just like it's like it's really dramatic. And it was uh, it was a it was a hard um, it, it, you know, made it harder for Greg than it, than it needed to be. But I mean, you know, the logic made sense at the time. Um, but anyway, once we talked to him, they're like, Hey, we're going to divert this ship. It's coming your way. Uh, we, um, uh, we're going to, um, you know, so we just kind of had to sit there and wait and, you know, we're just trying to stay hydrated. You know, we got some food, so we're eating a little bit of food, but you're not really hungry and you're like, it's kind of yeah, adrenaline has got to be pumping, man. Oh, totally. And just and listening to that aircraft fly overhead. At first, it was an HC one forty four Ocean Century, and then it was a C one thirty. And it was like as long as we heard that, like everything felt okay, and we you know we felt like we were found. And that was like one of the most profound things about getting rescued by the Coast Guard. Which I mean, God bless those guys and everything they do. Um, you know, it was uh, just to hear that hum of that engine was an incredibly powerful thing. And so we're on the VHF radio and we're chit-chatting with them. We can, it's funny because you can tell like these guys are all about our age too. And they've, you know, they're on, they're doing, doing a completely different kind of adventure, but now our adventures have intersected and they just kind of sound like all guys, like, you know, you can kind of tell like they kind of want to joke, but they got to be professional. Yeah. Uh, And uh, it's like, Oh man, I'd love to grab some beers, some beers with these guys. Um, so anyway, they tell us that this uh, ship, they they diverted the ship uh, to go pick us up. And uh, in the afternoon, turning into evening, the ship that shows up is a roll-on, roll-off car carrier. So it looks like a skyscraper on its side, and it is absolutely massive. Um, this thing is just unbelievable. It's 580 feet long, 100 feet tall. Uh, just a huge beast of a of a of a thing. 
and it's and it's like it's us and it's them and in the distance there's this russian freighter and so like and it's like the most things that have been around us in months <laughs> so uh we talked to the captain and he's like time to cut loose from the boat so i look at the boat i'm thinking this is the last time i'm gonna see it I cut it loose and we start floating towards this giant uh car carrier and uh, it just starts getting closer and closer and the waves are gray and it's like the winds at like 30 knots and we can see all these guys dressed in orange uh, with like their white hard hats and their life vests and they're all clutching these ropes and uh, right around the side of the boat like the water's turned turquoise because the bow thrusters are churning up all of this water and we hit that backwash from the bow thrusters and it just throws us down the side of the ship and all these ropes are getting thrown to us and oh can't and we don't catch a single one and so it's getting dark and they have to set up for another pass so we end up doing that uh and then finally we catch this um the the pilot ladder and we end up climbing 45 feet from these six foot waves up into uh this car carrier and i mean we're all in our underwear <laughs> because <laughs> uh, we've been just like we've been in little we've been in this uh life raft for um you know the lat for about 12 hours and it's uh i mean it was hot and sweaty in there a bit. um yeah like at the moment you, know, you grab onto that um that rope ladder it's like it was uh it, there was no way you could like pull my hands away from that like it was it just like each there was such intensity to each handhold after handhold all the way up and then these the, the the ship was japanese the the officers were bangladeshi and the crew was from the philippines and these filipino crew guys like they wrap us in blankets and they give us a hug and they're like you're you're okay now you're okay yeah then they take us up they give us soup and and then uh one of the guys comes down he's like who's in charge and marcus points to me and so i got like long blonde hair i got a huge you know blonde beard and everything is just like bleached by the sun after for so many days um and um let's say on someone's voicemail sorry about that um yeah so let's see where was i so the um who's in charge yeah who's in charge and so i come up there and like i'm I'm in my underwear and got this big old hair big beard and everybody else is in these nice uniforms with these epaulets on the side and there's this moment when i walk in and everybody looks at me and i'm looking at them and it's like just picked up robinson crusoe (laughs) (laughs) and they and the guy like kind of he hands me the radio and i get on and these guys uh on the coast guard they're like just wanted to check they made it on on board the ship it's like yeah man thanks for Thanks for looking at, thanks for saving us. Thanks for looking out for us. Uh, I mean, know, it was, yeah. But it was one of those things where I was like, God, I just like, I wanted to say something profound. But I was like, thanks buddy. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing, more, nothing more to add, nothing more to subtract. That's all I got yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and, I mean, it was like, you know, like Superman, you know, dropping us off being like, just doing my job citizen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Carry um, on. Yeah. But the, uh, the boat was recovered and. Yeah. So it, it's okay. Yeah. Well, so that was a whole other adventure. And actually, like, the, the final chapter with this whole thing has been written in the last, like, few months. So and that's part of the reason I, like, slowed down Tiny Boat Session. But 
we ended up getting the boat back. And so we landed two days later and we spent 48 hours with the wonderful crew of the high gen, you know, watching Bollywood movies. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave us, they gave us these orange jumpsuits. And so we looked like we had escaped from an insane asylum. <laughs> we didn't have any shoes. There were no shoes that fit us. Oh man. And we, so we went up getting washed up on like on, on the shores of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of San Juan and, uh, in Puerto Rico and just had a, a, an incredible time with these, you know, Puerto Ricans who came out to, to, to give us a hand. And, um, so anyway, uh, like the, we arrived on Sunday and like at 11 o'clock and Greg, like we hug all the family and then Greg kind of emerges from the shadows and he's just looking cool as a cucumber. He's been like, shit's been crazy for three days for this guy. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have been able to read it, read it on him at all. He was just like, he was like in his element. He was totally in the zone. He's like, you guys ready for some work tomorrow? <laughs> like we go check in with the coast guard. We do an interview. We debrief with them. We head down to, uh, we, we go to, we go to sleep at like two in the morning. You know, we wake up four hours later and we get picked up and we get taken to the, uh, the studio. And then we're talking to the today show. Um, and then we spend the next, that whole day, we, every, we had computers and cell phones out. There was like, you know, half dozen computers, a dozen cell phones, everything's ringing. Everybody's communicating. We're in the lobby of this hotel and it's like, we're going to tell this story. We're going to, we're going to tell our story. We're not going to let anybody else do it. And so between, you know, us and our families, we were fielding all of this stuff. And, uh, I mean, it was crazy because it was all happening in a, in like a, in a hotel lobby. And we're, you know, there's like, you know, we're, we're getting energy from pizza and beer. <laughs> and it was like one of the most exciting days of of the entire experience and like and at this point like this experience had involved you know when we arrived in in um in senegal we ended up waiting we thought we were going to wait for two weeks before our ship before our boat showed up we ended up waiting for 55 days oh and so wow. senegal for 55 days was its own incredible adventure i mean that's like a whole i mean that whole thing could be a book and here we are we wrote across the ocean we capsized now we're telling our story and then Tuesday rolls around and our, the CEO of um, the CEO of the Canadian Wildlife Federation showed up. Uh, he was our um, our sponsor. And he was this guy who is at Wade Lundsey, God rest his soul. Uh, he championed us, um, you know, and was the, the reason we were, you know, him and his buddy, Randy, who also worked for the CWF. You know, these guys had like made this sponsorship happen and they really, really believed in us with all their heart. Um, and so now this really, this thing that was terrible, but it could have been way more terrible happens. And then we're kind of in this weird position, like, well, what, you know, what about the boat? And I mean, I, you know, I've been thinking about this kind of stuff for a long time. And I was like, man, like I read a lot about shit like this. And it's like, you know, everybody's asking this question. What about the boat? What about the boat? And then Wade asked it. Who's the you know, person who's got like the most, you know, who can, who can make the biggest difference with this. And I was like, you know, it had been kind of going through my head, this phrase, I was like, if we don't look for it, we're not going to find it. But if we look for it, we're probably not going to find it either. And that's yeah. the reality. And then Wade uh, says, go for it. 
and it just unlocked the most the next 10 days which were like the most cowboy 10 days of my life um i had no idea what the like how the hell i was going to do this like i'd spent tuesday kind of researching like how we were going to get an airplane and how like and then what what we were going to do when we found it if we found it you know what was what was possible and so the coast guard had you know it was no extra effort on their part to keep running this algorithm uh to get a drift pattern that could give us like a search area to work in so i mean that was just like something that like you know they just plug in some numbers and they give it to us uh, but then we end up uh talking to this guy named raul uh and he was like amigo we're gonna find the boat <laughs> and he was this pilot and you know so uh we end up I, going up I like his style already oh yeah totally totally so he uh you know this is that all this stuff is happening like so tuesday we figured out like wade takes us to dinner tuesday night so like so this is just it's, it's crazy like how quickly this is happening we land at 11 p.m on month we flip on saturday we're in san juan puerto rico at 11 p.m on sunday and we do all this stuff on monday wade shows up on tuesday uh you know uh takes us to dinner and we end up talking with um uh Oh, you know, and it was it was the next day. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it definitely it was that it was that next day because we went out. Um, like it took Wednesday to set it all up, and then Tuesday we now go out flying. And I was just thinking to myself, like this is like we just. I just have to keep going until I hit a wall, and I don't know what that wall's gonna be, but it's like we just have to throw everything we we can are able to at it, and it's like as long as like things are happening, then, then that's kind of the path. Um, you know, so if like, if Wade said, yes, it's like, okay, like he's serious about that. So if we can find this airplane, we're going to get on this airplane, we're going to go and we're going to look for it. But it, there was a part of me in the back of my head. I was like, this is a fool's errand, but I was like, if we go out there, we're going to have 90 minutes to, to look for this airplane. And if that 90 minutes is up and we haven't seen it, then that's it. Like that's, you know, we, that's, we have, we have, given our a plus effort uh we've really pushed it we drop down to 800 feet and we're going back and forth and uh i hear greg and our photographer aaron talking about whether or not they've seen something and i turn around and i was like guys it's our airplane for the day like i think it's awesome tell raul and he'll tell the captain turn around so they do and the airplane ends up having to bank the other direction and that ends up being a good thing because the the wing just goes down and does like a van of white and there's our boat oh man so like now we've seen the boat and it's like i mean we're just the we're it's so ecstatic i mean they're, they're incredibly emotional we just can't believe that this has happened but as it kind of settles down it's like well what the hell do we do next it's like okay by the time we land we um you know we're uh yeah, by the time we land, we end up, um, uh, there's like some other guys had been, um, like the other guys, like Pat and Marcus, they'd been reaching out to people trying to find like some boats. And there were some, you know, there were some, uh, some crazy boating people that were like, yeah, I got like a, like a 30 foot boat. I'll go out there and like tow your boat back. It's like, that's not going to happen. Well, what turned out is that, uh, Pat had gone to school, uh, at the same place and rode with us at University of Puget Sound. And his roommate from freshman year 
uh, was the son of a guy who was running Foss uh, Tugboat Company, uh, which oh, is wow. a tugboat up here in Seattle. And they had a connection down to a place called Berenkin Towing down in um, Berenkin Towing down in in, uh, in San Juan. And so they ended up getting us half price uh, uh, per day um, to go look for this thing. So uh, that's what we did. But it was like $10,000 a day. And the Canadian wife was like, I mean, he, he stood by us the entire time. We had enough for about 10 days, not 10 days, like seven days uh, to go out there. So like two days to get there and back and then three days in the, in the search area. Um, and it was like, well, we knew where it was, but like the whole thing, like the boat's just gonna, it's going to keep moving the whole time. It's out there in the water, you know, wind and the waves are moving this thing around and it's like, it's a 30 foot boat. It's a needle in a haystack. And we've basically, you know, we found it once in like from the sky and that's like finding a car parked in a parking lot, the size of Rhode Island. And so now we were, you know, like the next level, it's like, you know, you know, Seattle's in a place called King County. So it's like, now this place is a size of Mm -hmm. King 20 by 20. And I mean, this is a very, very tiny thing we're looking for. Um, And so we end up uh, and we get on this 110 foot tugboat called ocean century or or century. And uh, it is crewed by, you know, guys that if they were in different clothes and on a different boat, it was like the pirates of the Caribbean, but they were friendly. <laughs> yeah. And, um, they, uh, the, uh, the captain was, um, this, uh, Muslim dude from Honduras named Israel, which I just felt like was an incredible name for a captain on a tugboat in the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> So it's going to be like, it's like two days for us to get out. You know, we're traveling we're like this place we're going is 375 miles away and it's going to be like two days of travel. So, you know, we get there at like eight in the morning and we get familiar with the tugboat and then, um, you know, we just, everybody's so sleep deprived that we like fall asleep, but I mean, the tug doesn't leave until, you know, noon or one in the afternoon because, um, like they got to go up and bunker fuel and like putting that much fuel on the boat, like takes hours. And I mean, that's why it's going to cost so damn much. Right. So we go out there and we, um, you know, this, these guys are great. They think we're absolutely nuts. They're like, we're going for what a rowboat, you know, it is, it, it sounds ridiculous and it was ridiculous. So, uh, we get out there, you know, Marcus and I are kind of going through this plan in our head of what we're going to do. Cause the captain's like, look, when you get out there, you can use all of our tools, do whatever you need. But like, none of my guys are getting in the water. It's like, okay, fair enough. Um, so we're just trying to, you know, I've never done anything like this before. Neither is Marcus. Which I mean, shit from that. <laughs> uh, the whole story is something that like you probably never experienced, right? Uh, capsizing and waiting on the coast guard and, Get an oh, airplane yeah. to find it, and <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and now and now we've doubled down. You know, I mean, that's the thing that really got me is, is like when I was thinking about this. It's like, okay, like Poseidon slapped us down, and we're gonna go back and we're gonna ask for the boat back. <laughs> What's wrong with us? <laughs> Just but asking like, for trouble. Yeah, like the energy is going that way, and it's like, man, like it's just we're gonna ride this wave until until it ends, and just see where it happens. So. 
you know, we got three days in the search zone. So day one, like we, by this time we've managed to, to convince the crew that like, this is not a fool's errand. So like day one, everybody's excited. You know, it's like, we're kind of, you know, getting in our rhythm. Like we get into the search zone, like people are up right when the sun rises and, you know, Marcus and I are taking shifts uh, to like kind of keep our eyes fresh because it's super bright out there. Um, and then, you know, by the end of the day, it's like, you know, not, not even going to bother with that. We're just going to like, just, we're just going to stay out there all whole damn day. And just as far uh, as gear, like uh, the the Canadian that was doing a lot of the funding who really backed y'all, was, was there a lot of equipment and things that he wanted to recover, not to mention the ship itself? Well, so there, yeah, so he had the boat and then we had like... Forty to fifty thousand dollars worth of science equipment on board a boat, and then we had all of the footage and yeah. all of this science and all the science uh, data that we had collected. And it was like all this stuff was if we could find it, it was there. Like yeah. you know, it, it'd be something that we we'd still be able to use. Um, so first day, you know, we convinced the crew that this is uh you know this that this is something that that might actually happen and. We're cruising back and forth, but at the end of the day, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is just, uh, this is just a fool's errand, uh, again. <laughs> and I was like, call up Greg on the satellite phone. I was like, look, man, like we have like the only way we can walk away from this is, w- is with 100% commitment. And that looks like sending up the airplane again, because we're out here and we're, and it's just beyond the horizon because we can't see it. And what, when, what's the point? um like we got to have these eyes in the sky just just to know and be able to walk away from this knowing this um so the next day i know the airplane's going to go up i know when they're going to get picked up i know when they're going to reach the airport i know when they're gonna you know when that airplane's going to take off i know how long it is to get out there and i'm just thinking to myself that it's going to be you know we'll see it in the distance we'll see this airplane airplane over the horizon and uh you know we'll hear it and it'll like find something just over the horizon and then it'll do a few loops and it'll come back to us and wave its wings and then lead us in that direction. Don't see a damn thing that whole day. Oh like no. Five o'clock comes and like the energy of the boat has just completely left. And then five 30, this guy named Jorge, he's in these coveralls and he climbs to the top, <laughs> top of the bridge. He's like, dude with a the beard, they found your boat. <laughs> It's oh, man. like holy shit so i mean the 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 low turns into this high but it's still like man until we have eyes on and it's like you know the boat could con- the the tugboat could conceivably be there in two hours um but like you know we also don't want to run into it even though that's not very likely but it's like they just go at like two knots throughout the evening uh like really slowly and make our way there and it, when we wake up like the morning of the third day everybody's eyes are out like the people that are up who've been up on the night shift like they stay up um and everybody's looking so there's just this energy is building on the boat and i'm scanning with the uh you know scanning with my eyes scanning with the glass and uh i see um israel like come out he'd been looking at the he'd been looking at the radar as I see Aaron raise her hand and start to say something, and then they both start looking in the right, they start pointing in the same direction and they point at me. And so Israel had seen it through the radar and, you know, Aaron's got some, some Eagle eyes and she saw it on the horizon. And I bring up the binoculars and there's this tiny little boat floating mm-hmm. in the distance. Uh, and if you go to, the, um, 
if you, I, I have that link on, on my website uh, somewhere, which is like it's it's a, like that. It's kind of uncut footage, but it's like of the of what happens, what happened then. It opens with that moment, and then you see what happens next, which was we had to figure out how to get this boat somehow on the tugboat. So we go over there, and I'm just amazed that like as we get closer, it's just it's just phenomenal that this that we even that we even saw it. It's such a needle in a haystack. So we're trying to figure out how to get this thing on board the boat. And Marcus and I hop in the water and they have a crane and it lets out the line into the water. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to wrap up the boat and then we'll, then the crane will pull it and it'll flip it over. Mm -hmm. It goes too slow. So it's just pulling the boat in, Um, you know, so like, uh, like uh, upside down, there's not enough like force to pull it over. So they, the same experience that y'all had, right? When y'all were on the lifeboat trying to flip it over, right? Yeah, totally. So what they do instead is uh, let out all the line. And then that tugboat with its 6,000 horsepower just guns it <laughs> while we're holding on to the dagger board. So as a counterweight, oh, so man. all the way over and back upside down the first time we have to reset it, which is a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> like, we got these uh, these ropes that we we've tied up to 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 pull this thing over uh and it took like a lot to get this thing you know to to wrap it up uh even with just like one loop so it'll it'll undo itself so they do it again and we go in the water again and we're managed to like marcus i hold the boat it's really um like capricious at that point he pops on board he opens up the he opens up the uh doors and we get a lot of the water out we start pumping out the water and the boat starts getting more and more stable and then we have to we pick it up and bring it on the boat but in that moment of picking it up i mean this was we had great weather too but i mean it's still moving back and forth and so there's like a boat moving with a crane on it and you have another boat and we got lines on either end into this uh but it's like you know, it's, I mean, it's tough to try and, I mean, we, I mean no one had, had done something like this before. So it slams against the boat, uh, slams against the, the gunnel of the tugboat. And uh, then it's swinging all over the deck. And I remember just yelling at people, it's like, it's not worth anybody getting killed. And as, as I'm yelling that out, I run towards the stern of the boat and I just grab on and I just, it's just enough to like slow down its momentum, just enough that other people can get hands on and we lower it down on the boat under the the deck of the uh, tugboat and we got our boat back and cool. So we, all of the footage had been sitting in uh, what was digital footage. And so it was sitting in the salt water for 10 days. And so we moved it into fresh water and uh, Marcus uh, and his brother, Chris took it back to Toronto and they were able to pull off like 30 plus hours of footage. Yeah, it was incredible, which is why it ended up getting on Dateline. And because it got on Dateline and got all that uh, PR stuff, the Canadian Wildlife Federation was able to make back uh, what they put into it. Um, so uh, so that happened. Um, and then we got a, a bunch of the science stuff back. I uh, got the boat back. And so after that, um, the boat was pretty beat up. You know, it had taken a few real significant hits. And so where it had been in the meantime in between these trips had been at the Foss seaport waterway museum Mm -hmm. down in which is where you know our old school was and uh it was down there for uh about 10 years uh and it was the sort of thing where like you know 
or Northwest went off and did some different adventures, you know, different kinds of boats. And it's like an ocean rowboat is really like a specific type of boat. Um, and after 10 years in or Northwest, like coming to an end, uh, it had, it was kind of the, the boat had lost its purpose. The, it was no longer inside the museum because like they'd gone through a bunch of changes uh, and kind of changed their priorities. And like people who had been really involved with the boat at the museum, uh, you know, this lovely woman named Erla, she ended up dying. Um, and then just like different management came in and didn't really, wasn't as familiar with the story. And so, and didn't really know what to do with this really large thing. So yeah. I was sitting outside and I was just about to re-engage when COVID happened. I ended up doing a few presentations through Zoom uh, with their uh, this lady, uh, Julia, who runs their education program. Um, but it was actually, it was while I was down in New Orleans before I was doing Tiny Boat Session, uh, the, the director reached out and he's like, look, man, there's a guy sleeping in the boat. It's like, you know, we, we just can't keep it here anymore. And I was like, look, I'm not here right now. And he's like, don't worry about it. Just, you know, if you can, when you get back, you know, I really appreciate it. So... So what the hell are we going to do with this? So Gotta give it a proper send off, right? Exactly. So that's where this was leading to is, is the boat funeral. So we came back. Oh, well, I came back and, you know, I'd been calling, I'm talking to Greg about this and we had some, the people, some of the people who had helped us with the boat, creating the sliding seats, gig Harbor boat works. They lived in, you know, not too far away. So I called them up. They had a bunch of property um, and I could keep the boat there for a year. Uh, but the idea we had was like, like we have to, like we we got to do. You know, people were like, "Well, you got to get rid of the boat. Like, are you gonna have a Viking funeral? And like, are you gonna sink it?" And it's like, you can't do that with fiberglass. Like, fiberglass is like you can't grow a reef on fiberglass. Uh, it's just you know, like toxic garbage at the bottom of the <laughs> sea where it goes. Like, there's plenty of boats that go down there by accident. But like, we've been trying to do this in like real big adventures in a real responsible way this whole time. Like that was, that was, that was the plan. Like that was our, our goal and our vibe with all this stuff. Um, and can't burn it because it's fiberglass. Like have you ever seen like a fiberglass boat fire? It's, uh, it's horrible. It's horrible, dude. Yeah. It's so it's, bad. Like black you don't, smoke. But you, you might think it's cool, but dude, I, I have seen it like, fiberglass burning is not anything you want to remotely be around no no Smell, not at all. smells awful and it it never looks as cool as you think it's going to look oh yeah it just look it, it looks it looks horrific it's a it's a horrible it, it is not a pretty fire mm -mm. <laughs> and on top of that it's toxic so that wasn't going to happen so we're trying to figure out like okay like what is going to happen here and so kind of come across this idea well you know like there's a um you know it's just going to probably just end up in the dump but like before it goes to the dump like like, like we got to do something like we got to figure out like you know so we decided we're gonna have a boat funeral there's this race um there's this race called the race to alaska and it's they also have this uh, the race that precedes it called the 7048 so the boat is down in tacoma the 7048 leaves from tacoma it's a human powered race 70 miles in 48 hours ends up in port townsend washington there's uh there's a, there's a there's a day break where there's a party called the ruckus and then the next day a, i think a i saw some footage of that oh totally yeah yeah there uh so there's this this party and the next day then there's the race to alaska which is a 750 mile race to alaska non-motorized 
and it's been this thing that's been developed for i don't know almost 10 years now and it's just it's like like-minded people people want to go out and they want to use human power you know out on the salt water uh to go out and have like a real awesome experience and we're like well maybe her last mission should be a beer run <laughs> a beer like run ruckus like we're, we'll we'll have this beer run and we'll bring we'll bring the beer for the ruckus and we will serve it to like-minded people and so we ended up uh you know called up the people that were doing the race to alaska in the 7048 and they thought it was a good idea uh and so that's really i mean I, honestly that's why i i haven't been able to i, I didn't like white tiny boat session like season five is so far behind is because like this boat funeral thing came up and it had to be done and it had to be done well uh, and it was a huge amount of work. And I, it was one of these things where like, I, I hated every moment of it, but I loved it at the same time. You know, there were all of these things like putting together a project and putting together a row and something that's just absolutely ridiculous that I, you know, I realized like over the years, I kind of put together these set of skills that, you know, I hadn't really flexed in a, in a little while. I flexed them a little bit with tiny boat session, but you know, tiny boat session is like me Real leisure, and, and one or two other people. Um, you know, doing like, you know, coordinating an afternoon together. And it's like, that ends up being a whole lot if you coordinate like 91 and in, in, in eight weeks. But I mean, this was like, there were going to be maybe a hundred people at this boat funeral. Um, and then we were going to row this boat with the logistics of getting the boat up here with the beer and keeping it cold. Uh, you know, I brought a cannon into the mix. Cause I was like, I'm going to start this race uh. to lap cannon. Um, and so it was this sort of thing where, uh, and then as I'm planning this thing, I'm, I'm reaching out to the, to the boat yards and I'm thinking like, this, like, this is the easy part. I just need to like book some time in a boat yard and we can sit there and we can cut it up. So I called the boat yards and I'm like, yeah, we're, I'm sorry. Like, uh, the only people we do this with is with the department of natural resources because they have this boat recycling pro pro program. And so I was thinking, Oh God, I gotta be like a part of this program. And it was like this hail Mary. I, I called them up and I was like, look, this is the deal. Like, I know you guys recycle these boats. Like I really want to do it in Port Townsend so that all of these logistics will, will line up and it'll like, I'm making a, a cool event. And this wonderful woman named uh, Tammy uh, reached out and uh, she was just a sweetheart. And she was they like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're totally on board. And like, and the best part was, is that it didn't end up in a landfill. All of it ended up getting recycled. Awesome. Yeah. So they, I mean, they're, they're figuring out how to recycle fiberglass these days. And, you know, it's like, it's in, it's in early days, but it's like, it's better than it just like filling up a landfill. And I mean, um, like bottom, bottom a, of the sea or on fire. Yeah, I mean, you're in a, you're on the water, you're in a boating place. You've seen how many like derelict boats there are out there. Like yeah. it's, it's sad. Yeah. So, and dude, not to mention it was kind of emotional and like, didn't even like know you like I know you now, but like seeing you and your boys just ripping off pieces of it, memorabilia. Oh. And I was like, Oh my gosh, man, this is amazing. No. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. It was like, it was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was one of these things where, you know, you put together an event and it's kind of like, it's a little bit like casting a spell. If that doesn't sound like a little bit too cheesy, but like you get the right people and the right tools in the right place. Mm -hmm. And then kind of what happens afterwards is, 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 is magical.
And because that was the thing is like I was, you know, I, I had had some help from my buddy Greg, but it was like he was busy with his work. And this was like, you know, this is really the main thing that I was working on for several months. So it was, you know, I'm sending out these emails consistently and just trying to get people on board and, and just cause it's like planning a big thing and getting a bunch of people to show up. And it's like, I'm asking people to show up for a funeral for a boat. <laughs> and that's ridiculous, <laughs> but it was this project that had wrapped all of these really wonderful people together and people responded to that. And so, you know, they like, like there were these moments where I kind of, where I knew where I finally knew it was going to happen. Like when the boat was ready the week before we got the beer and the beer was on ice. And then every single day that we rode up, it was like the first place we rode um, my buddy, Rick, who did the Vancouver Island trip with us. He had, uh, we stayed at his family friend's place and then at his parents' place. And before we stopped at his family friend's place, cause we told him we'd show up at, at three, we got there, we had great tide and we had good, good wind. And so we showed up a, like a little bit earlier and we went to this little, uh, you know, there's a little town called Manchester. It's got a dock. So we stopped in and grabbed a drink. And uh, I mean, the boat looks very unique. And there were these two, this father, son that were at the bar. And so they start talking to us and we're getting ready to leave. And this young guy, he look, looks like the, the son. He looks at me and Greg and he's like, thank you for doing this. <laughs> and it was like, uh, he got it. Like he just, he got this whole thing. Yeah. And so it was like the boat, it makes its way up there. Like we deliver the beer. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, the, um, you know, all of these emotional notes are getting hit along the way. And it's like leading towards this crescendo and all of these like kind of beautiful things are happening. It has this like the, like the boat was, was up the ruckus and serving beer. And it was like for a moment, it got to relive all that glory uh and just like be this thing that was bringing all these good people together doing uh doing a fun like ridiculous big thing and then the next morning uh you know i was up at like 3 45 because the race starts you know at dawn and i got to get this cannon ready uh so i shoot this cannon off and then uh you know everything starts to come together like the boat's getting put in the water um you know all these other like and i had these just incredible friends show up with their boats and so that we could have this flotilla then we had bagpipers <laughs> so, proper like, proper send off oh, man yeah. bagpipers like spared hit. no expense on this oh, i love it no because no, it was like I, again like i couldn't like this had been it'd been too much for me it'd been too much for other but too many other people and everybody was here and like this had to be this incredible moment so like i got these bagpipers and i just remember you know it'd been, i finished this interview with the news people and then you just hear the bagpipes and like again just like just like overwhelming emotion just realizing like am i going to even be able to row um and it was as beautiful as i had imagined and then we get to the <laughs> we get to the boatyard and i think and so like one of the things that was like both like a little bit frustrating but also uh like really beautiful was you know i'm working with a dnr i'm working with the guy that runs the boatyard and you know like we're, we're having like a last minute meeting it's like these people are busy they, this is like low priority on their list and it's mm -hmm. like god i would have loved to have had this meeting like weeks before to like really hammer out all the details because i've been keeping them on the thing on the email and i was like 
I just didn't know. Like, I was like, this is exactly how I want to have this happen. But it was, if the Boyard guy or the DNR could have been like, no, we don't want it to work that way. They just, they were like, yep, this seems like you got it reasonably in hand. And this Boyard guy, who was so he's this great big old grizzly dude. And <laughs> I was telling him about this months before as, as we're planning this. And he's like, you know, I don't get emotionally connected with boats. <laughs> And I was yeah. like, man, that's a good thing in your job. Cause if you were emotionally connected with the boats and you worked at a boat yard, a lot of hardship, that'd be hard. Yeah. So no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like we show up and, um, he's just sitting in the back and like, well, I'll get to that, uh, that later, just like kind of, he was just a solid guy, but we pull the boat out and it's like, there's way more people than I thought that then we're going to be there than I thought were there at the beginning of it. Like, probably twice as many people showed up in the boatyard and we pull it up and just all of these people who'd been involved with the trip in one way or the other just fall upon the boat. And there was this boat. I mean, there's times that it had just been one person working in the boatyard trying to get this thing done, but with all these hands, it just gets pulled apart. <laughs> like this is happening. And like the bagpipers have been playing, they step off and I, I got an Irish band <laughs> to play. So this lovely Irish band called Cross Current uh, starts playing a parting glass. <laughs> and so this is all like, it, we got music while this boat's getting torn to pieces. <laughs> it's an interview came up to me just as my mom gives me this tearful hug. <laughs> I just start weeping and he's asking me these questions. I'm okay, him, right now. Giving them one word answers because I'm like looking at the boat and I'm like, I want to save this or I want to like, you know, make sure this is coming off in some organized fashion. Um, and like, you know, my, uh, I, I'm seeing these, these guys that I've known for, you know, almost two decades at this point. And I'm seeing people cry, like, like sob, <laughs> like I've never seen cry before. So it was, it was bizarre. I mean, this thing is so wild because you you were coming out of college and you just saw this thing, this flyer in Seattle that was talking about this race across the Atlantic. And now you're here 20 years later, you know, it's like, and how many people were connected to you through this vessel? I mean, this is incredible. Yeah. And so, I mean, everything comes off and then she's suddenly like, she's like this naked boat, you know, the only thing that, you know, uh, she's got a bunch of holes in her, you know, we've taken out all the hatches. Um, so it could like easily get, you know, crushed up. And, you know, I'd done, uh, like the, um, you know, I, uh, you know, step on the boat and I got like, you know, there'd been a few like things that I had been collecting over the, 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 the few weeks, uh, to, to just try and like that I knew would be these, like these, these good moments. And one had been, um, you know, we had this, I had this flag, uh, that, you know, this American flag that was on the boat, uh, when it capsized and then we found it. And when my brother had come back from Iraq, he's a Marine. Uh, he'd given me a flag that he, that was on one of his missions. And so like, I called him up there and I gave him my brother. So like, the other part about this is like, so the boat's named after my biological father, the James Robert Hansen. But my other dad, you know, Jim Wood is there with my with my brother who like, you know, we got we might have genetically different dads, but we're, you know, we're 100 percent brothers. My mom's there. And I got this big cutout, uh, this big picture of my biological dad 
uh, it's a great picture. Um, I'll, I'll send it to you. And he's like, he's, he's got a beer. <laughs> <Perfect. And> <laughs> so I could call my brother up and I give him this flag. And I was like, this flag was lost at sea. And, you know, I'm just like, you know, you gave me a flag and giving you a flag. <laughs> and as I was thinking about this thing, like I was just so uh, like, I was imagining this moment before it happened and like taking the riggers off the boat and it like suddenly like it's like taking its legs it's got no way to go um and so like that made me really sad and so i had i car like i've gotten into the you know one of my hobbies has been every once in a while i just i'll carve i'll carve up a paddle and there's a few of those on my website yeah i was uh really into that and uh the how to throw a tomahawk i mean yeah. uh I'm, I'm into uh self bows i'll make bows out of uh hickory or osage Nice. And so like, I, I'm really into woodwork. And so like when I saw those articles, they really caught my eye and I was like, dude, I was like common interest. Like we both really enjoy working with wood. Yeah. No, I both something I've, I've, I've thought like, uh, I'd really like to try and make one of those someday. Um, but yeah, so we were, uh, I got carved one of these paddles. And the reason I got into carving paddles over oars is like carving a paddle is something you can do in a day. <laughs> you can like complete one in a day. And mm -hmm. so like sometimes, gotta you gotta work with wood you gotta like kind of have that meditation right um but i'd gotten inspired by it because there's like the all the so all the tribes up here they're under the kind of the umbrella of the coast salish people mm -hmm. um and so they have this annual uh and, they, and these people got around on canoes for you know as long as they've been out here for you know all of all of the thousands or tens and thousands of years uh and these beautiful canoes and so in the last few years they've started doing these canoe journeys where they it's like several months long and they started one tribe uh one tribal place and they just work their way along the coast visiting each other and kind of a celebration of culture and one day greg and i got invited to go out and do uh one of these uh where they needed paddlers and so had this incredible experience where we got invited into this place where you know non-natives don't usually get invited and got to participate in this and it was super moving and overwhelming and one of the things that the that the boat captain had said he was like you know like uh, all the old timers they they carve their paddles <laughs> and so i was like well i'm gonna i'm gonna do that so i started carving these paddles uh and so this is one of the first ones that i carved and i i was just so kind of like heartbroken at taking the boat's legs uh that i i got this i brought this paddle along with us and then i got like my brother and all the guys that had rowed the boat to put hands on that paddle and break it on the bow <laughs> Uh, and then we threw that in there so she'd have like something to take, uh, uh, something to take her into the afterlife. Right on. So then it's like, so she's on a trailer and it's like, just didn't seem right to, uh, to pull, <laughs> to, to drive her to her last moment. And so <laughs> I don't think this kind of surprised everybody. Cause even Greg was like, are you serious? We're going to do this. I was like, <laughs> we're putting the last quarter mile. <laughs> and so <laughs> we had all these people. We had, uh, you know, uh, Dave, who built the sliding seats, uh, two of my coaches and uh, one of the guys that I lived with while we were doing this whole uh, project and I rode with in college. Uh, they had all the oars and, you know, my brother and my father were holding this picture of my father. And then all these hands got on the boat. You know, I was, you know, arm in arm with my mom, the band's playing and we're walking through this boatyard and the and this and, and the boatyard uh, manager driving ahead of us making sure everything's clear um and like this boatyard is 
is an incredible it's like a big commercial boat yard it's an everything boat yard so there's places where you're going through where it's like a, like you're in a canyon of boats oh boy like vehicles it is incredible and we're going along and uh this guy who had uh, come out from the the university to do a um uh to do a story uh he uh he was talking to me afterwards his name's chuck and we kind of did it. We did an interview afterwards because it was it was crazy what we were doing. And he was like, as we were going along, I saw workers, <laughs> I saw workers stop and take off their hats. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> I salute, man. That's that's great. Yeah, so we're coming along and like it's, like that's it. We're on asphalt on this on this uh, this boat trailer, and it's and it's going, um, and then it hits this gravel. And there was this moment where I, like, I looked at the boat and I saw like, there was this moment where like, I wasn't sure are people pulling the boat and pushing the boat or is the boat like suddenly like going itself. And it was like, later I was checking in with, with Brad cause he was pushing the boat and he's like, you know, so the weekend was great, man. Like I loved it. It was incredible. It's like, it was great to row the boat again, but I didn't feel like I was on the ocean until that moment. Oh man. And he was like, he, like I saw the surge, like where this that that front wheel on the trailer, like where it's where it stopped, and then there was it was he said it was like a wave, and like we saw that same thing, we kind of felt the same thing, so we brought it in, and it was going to get uh, you know chewed up by a, a backhoe, so we bring it in, and uh, the last thing I do is that we had this water sample that one of our scientists, uh, Dr. Starr, had uh, saved. Uh, that ended up not getting processed. And so we could anoint the boat with water we had collected in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, everybody got behind a gate and then we watched this thing get torn apart as the band played. <laughs> Perfect, dude. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I hated planning it so much, but if I had, if I had not put that much into it, I mean, I, I'd be, I would have, I, I would have, I'd regret it with all of my heart. And it, it truly sounds like, I mean, the people who were there and I mean, just going back to the bar to the, the guy's son, it seemed like everyone completely understood and was like, they were in that moment with you. They knew what it meant, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's it was wild, cool. dude. Yeah. It, it really, it really got me. <laughs> This episode of Porch Talk is also sponsored by Manscaped. You can go to manscaped.com and at checkout use promo code PORCHTALK, all one word, PORCHTALK, all one word. Receive 20% off your total purchase order and get free shipping. Uh, Manscaped sent me the performance package 4.0 that comes with their beard trimmer, uh, the weed whacker, which is for those unsightly ear and nose hairs, and then the lawnmower, which is for you downstairs. It also comes with the crop preserver and the crop reviver. Uh, that is for um, it's for your genitalia there, there boys. Uh, it'll keep you from, uh, if you've ever been in the south in the summer, uh, you know a little bit about how it feels down there in those two wonderful products will uh, help you feeling cool and keep you smelling good so you don't smell like a foot. So 
go to manscaped.com. And if they are the leading company when it comes to men's grooming, they also, the performance package comes with the most comfortable pair of underwear I've ever owned. So if you have never given Manscaped a try, I highly recommend them. You can go to manscaped.com, use Porch Talk as your promo code at checkout, receive 20% off your total purchase order. And, uh, man, just look at my beard. If that says anything about them, should say it all. I got the best beard around, no doubt about it. Now, back to the show. Man, I I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, the story of the rowboat and your story. Uh, man, I, I appreciate uh, you opening up and sharing all that, man. I, I have been on the edge of my seat, and then uh, with this this most recent portion, man, I was uh, I was a little emotional, man. It was. I hear you. Quite the tale, dude. Uh, so I just wanted to bring everything up to today of what you've been working on. You had the tiny boat sessions. Uh, I'd like to reopen that can, but also with your writing and what you've been up to. I know you write for magazines, uh, different articles, and uh, I, I would just like to uh, plug uh, your website. How can people connect with what you're doing and how people can get behind you but like just for starters is uh what are you up to currently yeah so um the uh two things that i'm on right now is um so i've been i'm getting ready to leave on a a tall ship so it's like it's a brig or brigantine depending on which side of the atlantic you're on but it's like a tall it's a tall ship it's like a pirate ship (laughs) and it's leaving from the netherlands to the caribbean and back again so i'll spend um you know the better part of six months on this trip and this is like this has been um, the cool thing about this is that this ship is a Dutch company called Fair Transport, and their whole shtick is to uh, you know move stuff without engines. And so they actually have like a brand of rum, a brand of chocolate, and a brand of coffee called Trace Ombres, which is the name of the ship. And their ship oh. does not have a planet, and they sail it from the Netherlands to the Caribbean and back, and they load it all up with this stuff. So I'm going to be on there as like. Um, kind of like a, a guest slash crew they 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 take up to five people on board and uh everybody works on the boat because like a boat like that just like you can't really be a passenger right. um so but the thing is like they have a professional crew but this is the closest i can get to what it would be like to be on a 19th century trading ship and and before and the era that I'm writing is between, uh, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, where there was a big overlap with ships like this. Uh, and I want to be able to build that experience, um, you know, add that authenticity into my writing. Yeah, so, that's, what I was, that's what I was about to ask. I was like, man, this is going to take your writing to the like the next level, you know? Well, yeah. That I, you know, I feel like there's there's so many aspects of it. It's like being on a boat with a bunch of people that I don't know, you know, cr- and you know, crossing the Atlantic again. And I, I, I really wanted to be on this boat for a whole journey. So like, you know, going back to where we began and not just like going across the ocean once. Um, and I think that's just, uh, you know, it's just like that's again something that I want to do because like, man, I've wanted to do something like this since I was a kid. Uh, you know, before I knew about ocean rowing, it turned out like ocean rowing was going to take me across the ocean. But like, I've always been so curious about what it's like to uh, to be on a ship like that uh, and and see how it really functions. And so I was uh, there's a local tall ship called Lady Washington, and I was uh, just spent two weeks on that learning uh, learning the ropes. 
Uh, and there's, there's a whole heap of them out there. Um, and I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a bow like that. It's just, it, it's incredible how much human power it takes to really wrangle those sails and make that, make it happen. It's incredible. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, but meanwhile, I'm working on, I'm actually, uh, uh, at the school that I, that I graduated from university of Puget sound, I'm going to hire an intern, maybe two, uh, to do, to feed out tiny boat sessions. So I'm, I've been working on getting things, uh, like I want to make sure they have like all the, everything needs to be edited as edited. Like everything's, everything's in a space where someone who doesn't know much about it is able to feed them out on a consistent basis. Cause and you know, I've, I've really wanted I just like, you know, because that boat funeral, like that really pushed things behind. And I just, I mean, I've been lucky that I've had a lot of projects that I can spend a lot of time towards, but at the same time, like, you know, for the most part of kind of a one man band type of thing. And, but I just don't want these things to have to wait until I get back to start feeding out. Um, Cause like, there's been a lot of people who have, who've come out and done, uh, who've, who've reached out to me that I, I would love to do some more tiny boat sessions with, but I feel like I owe it to all of the artists that came beforehand uh, to get them out first and at least be, you know, at least have a system set up. So that's, I mean, messing around with a website, messing around with like, that's just a heap of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's slow, uh, but it's, it's also been really good to revisit all of these little moments and just be like, just delighted, you know, absolutely. Seeing... And where can people uh, find this? Yeah. So, uh, tinyboatsession.com. Um, but the, you know, the, where, you know, where it's going to be fed out consistently is, uh, is Instagram and there's tiny boat session on Instagram, tiny boat session on Facebook. And, you know, since I'm hiring, you know, these younger students, hopefully, hopefully one of them can figure out TikTok. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Cause I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to how work. <laughs> <laughs> Nor do I, and I'm not going to try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but I, I, I just, I was so touched by like, by these things that I just, I, they just make, they make me feel good. And I think they have the potential to make other people feel good. And I just want to put that out there. And I, I, th I think you're on to something from the ones that I've seen. Um, I was like, this, this is something special. This, this was something worth doing. And I'm glad that, you know, you, you shared a little bit about where the idea came from, but I was like, man, thank God you pursued it. You know, it, it was so worth doing and it's, it's great. I, I really hate that. Cause it, you know, it's one of those things where like, I mean, put a, put a lot of time towards it. And so for it, you know, and, but it's like, but I've gotten a lot out of it mm -hmm. and it's like, that thing, like whenever I was like, Oh man, this is a lot of work. I'd have to just have a conversation with myself. Like, is like, am I getting, am I getting what I'm looking for out of it? And you know, that you know, that answer like has been yes. And a resounding yes, as it's continued to go, it's just, it's a lot of work. Um, and, um, and now it's, you know, meeting the people and setting up the tiny bus sessions. Like that's the fun stuff, but like, like the feeding it out, like that's, you know, that's the boring part. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's the work. <laughs> that's the work. That's the work. And so, um, you know, I'm, again, like I'm going away for a long time, but I just don't feel like I can, you know, I, I don't want it to wait any longer. Uh, cause I, I really want those like in November, first week of November, I want to be setting this up so that like two can come out every week. Um, just to be able to share that. Cause yeah, these, you know, musicians came out and, 
you know, they shared their talent with me and I shared this space that they could play. And it was a beautiful thing. And, you know, hopefully it'll help them, you know, reach some more people and people will find them through tiny boat session. There you go. And just, yeah. They just made me smile. It's <laughs> the, uh, you know, the same kind of project I set up, especially like during COVID, I had this podcast going, um, a couple of years before that, but, uh, when everything shut down, it, it'll, it lended itself to where I could meet people who I would not have been able to meet because they would have been on the road and so busy. And yeah. it, it turned, it turned into a porch talk record. And mm-hmm. I've already got the second record prepared. I just don't have the funding for it. And so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I mean, it's that very same thing. It's, uh, well, this pandemic hit and it completely altered the, the state of the world. And, I was I I just took full advantage of it. I was like, what 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 can we do? Yeah, uh, that- well, it's you know, I mean, there's so much of um, you know, when you're in a position where you suddenly like in, in a moment of constraint, uh, like that can be a moment where you just kind of retreat, uh, or it can be a moment where you're like, okay, well, like what can I do? And you realize like we live in a you know, if you live here in the in the states, there's a lot that most people can do. There are mm-hmm. a lot of options. For a lot of people, not everybody, you know, everybody's got a different, you know, different backstory, but there's a lot of people with a lot of options. And if there are constraints like that, that isn't, it's an opportunity for creativity. Absolutely. So, uh, man, just to, to plug you, uh, your writing, uh, just to go back to your website is everything that you do. Is it available there at your website? Yeah. Yeah. If you go to jordanhanson.com and you go to tiny boat session, you can see, I got, um, I think most of my writing is up there except for the book. Um, you know, that's something that you can folks want to folks want to buy. And then here's one thing I say is like, you know, it's, it's great to have reviews. So like, uh, you know, if you don't, if you read, if you read my book, great. I love it. A review would be amazing. But if you don't review me, review another author you like, you know, just like like, that really helps authors, you know, it really helps people with podcasts, like putting it out there like that is, uh, you know, uh, that that is something that people who create stuff who like if reviews help like they really appreciate that <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean that's one thing i push on my thing all the time is man like just just take a little time because it, it it helps it really does uh yeah. it uh just someone else's opinion they they might see it and it's like oh man i kind of resonate with that opinion i think i'll give it a shot Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you never know who you're going to reach. Uh, but yeah, like all my creative stuff is is up there and it's pretty much up to date. Um, I did uh, some recent updates. I'm in the middle of updating Tiny Boat Session. So like it's under construction, uh, but folks can go there and, and see a bunch of stuff. Tiny Boat Sessions on YouTube, um, you know. Uh, yeah. So it's like some new like stuff is coming up. And then as I kind of figure out this whole uh, intern thing, um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, Jordan, of uh, anything else to add or subtract, anything that we missed that you'd like to cover? And um, no, I, I think that's pretty much it. Just uh, you know, um, yeah, I think that covers it. <laughs> well, brother, when you get back from uh, being out at sea once again, I, dude, you are more than welcome to come back on the porch, and I, I'd love to hear from you again, man. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I, I'd love to do that. Maybe we can figure out how to act, do it actually on the porch. There you go. Do it. Uh, get off this virtual porch and get on a real one. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. 
Well, dude, uh, I don't have anything else here to do. Uh, I'll plug everything in the descriptions. Uh, once again, man, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Alan. Thank you.